Why do we celebrate Christmas? Oh, I know. We celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Oh, in fact, Jesus has been demonstrated time and time again to be a mythical figure along the same lines as Zeus, Horus, Krishna, Romulus, and many other demigods that ancient civilizations made up in reverence to. The Sun, you don't have to just take my word for it. Do the research yourself, and you will find that Jesus is a fictional character based on myths of heroes from all over the world. In simple terms, Jesus was invented and did not depict a real person and thus is not the son of God. Say it ain't so, Joe. Now, before you run away from this video because you just heard some things you disagree with, just hear me out for a little while. If at any point you feel I state something that's incorrect, leave a comment below and correct me. But I assure you, the information I am providing in this video is 100% true, regardless of what you were told by your preacher. As painful as it might be, we as a people need to come to grips with reality if we are ever going to come together and truly liberate our people once and for all. Let's get to the facts. The only literary evidence for a man named Jesus is in the Gospels Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John. There are other Gospels, but the creators of the Bible decided not to include those in the Bible that was given to you to read. The second fact is that Christians plagiarized the story of Jesus from earlier pre-existing myths in a process known as synchronization. Synchronization is the process of assimilating with a foreign population by taking key aspects of their culture and fusing it with another. Then over generations, certain aspects of the former culture are replaced. Every bit of wisdom, morality, and value in the Bible was copied from other cultures and fused with the Jewish culture during the invasion of Northern Africa in the first century. Now again, I know that as I'm speaking, there are some of you who disagree with what I just said. But if you don't listen, I assure you that you will not learn anything. If you want knowledge of self, freedom to think and grow to your full potential, then listen closely because what I'm about to say over the next few minutes can truly free your mind. If you aren't afraid to think, first, let's learn who Horus is. Horus was born to the goddess Isis, or Set, after she retrieved all the dismembered body parts of her murdered husband Asar, except his penis, which was thrown into the Nile and eaten by a catfish, or sometimes depicted as instead by a crab and according to Plutarch's account used her magic powers to resurrect her husband and fashion a phallus to conceive her son. After becoming pregnant, Isis fled to the Nile Delta marshlands to hide from her brother Set, who jealously killed Asar and who she knew would want to kill their son. Their Isis bore her divine son, Horus. This African myth predates the story of Jesus by over 6,000 years, but notice the similarities. There is a miraculous birth. The mother fled her city and birthed her divine son in another city, just like Mary did with Jesus. Horus was born on December 25th. His birth was marked by a star in the east and three wise men came to his birth with gifts. Horus began teaching at 12 years old and was baptized at age 30. He performed miracles including walking on water and raising people from the dead. There is even a narrative of a resurrection. Horus gradually took on the nature as both the son of Asar and Asar himself. In the temple of Dendera, he is given the full royal titulary of both that of Horus and Asar. He was sometimes believed to be both the father of himself as well as his own son, and some later accounts have Asar being brought back to life by a set. Thus, we have a story of a holy trinity 6,000 years before Jesus. Horus was often referred to as the Most High, or Christ, KRST, and was said to protect his followers in the afterlife. But wait, the story of Horus is just a myth. Horus is a symbol for the sky. The sun was his right eye and the moon his left, and they traversed the sky when he, as a falcon, flew across it. Later, 
The reason that the moon was not as bright as the sun was explained by a tale, known as the contendings of Horus and Seth. In this tale, it was said that Seth, the patron of Upper Egypt, and Horus, the patron of Lower Egypt, had battled for Egypt brutally, with neither side victorious, until eventually, the gods sided with Horus. As Horus was the ultimate victor, he became known as Horus the Great, but more usually translated Horus the Elder. In the struggle, Seth had lost the testicle, and Horus's eye was gouged out. The Eye of Horus is an ancient Egyptian symbol of protection and royal power from deities, in this case from Horus or Ra. The symbol is seen on images of Horus' mother, Isis, and on other deities associated with her. In the Egyptian language, the word for this symbol was Wajet. It was the eye of one of the earliest of Egyptian deities, Wajet, who later became associated with Bastet, and Hathor as well. Wajet was a solar deity and this symbol began as her all-seeing eye. In early artwork, Hathor is also depicted with this eye. Now let's talk about Krishna. In the Krishna Karitas, Krishna was born to Devaki and her husband, Vasudeva of the Yadava clan in Mathura. Devaki's brother is a tyrant named Kamsa. At Devaki's wedding, according to Puranic legends, Kamsa is told by fortune tellers that a child of Devaki would kill him. Sometimes, it is depicted as an Akashwani made an announcement about Kamsa's death. Kamsa arranges to kill all of Devaki's children. When Krishna is born, Vasudeva secretly carries the infant Krishna away across the Yamuna and exchanges him. When Kamsa tries to kill the newborn, the exchanged baby appears as the Hindu goddess Yumaya, warning him that his death has arrived in his kingdom and then disappears. Notice the similarities between Jesus and Krishna. Both were miraculously conceived. Both had royal genealogies. Both were threatened with death by a wicked ruler. Krishna and Christ were human incarnations of a triumph god. Both were tempted by demons, both worked miracles, both transfigured themselves, and both predicted their own deaths. Now let's go to Romulus, the Roman sun god. From 771 BC, Romulus, according to legend, founded the city of Rome on the 21st of April. Easter commemorates the crucifixion of Jesus, and when he rose from the tomb, Romulus was born of a virgin, Rhea who had been miraculously impregnated by the god Mars. Romulus didn't die a natural death but was brought to heaven by his divine father Mars. Most accounts claim Romulus' father was either the Mars, god of war, or the demigod Hercules. King Amulius ordered the twins Romulus and Remus' death by means of lap burial, exposure, or being thrown into the Tiber River. Much like when King Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. Romulus was cared for by a shepherd and his wife. He grew up to be a shepherd like his adoptive father. Romulus was the legendary founder and first king of Rome. He was honored by the people as king. Yes, he had 12 disciples. Romulus was a great general that led the Romans to many victories over their rivals, displaying superhuman strength and martial abilities. There are two versions of Romulus' death. One, Romulus mysteriously disappeared in a storm or whirlwind. Two, Romulus was violently attacked. His body cut into small pieces and carried away. Both Jesus and Romulus' bodies disappeared after death. The people wanted to search for him, but the Senate told them not to, for he had risen to join the gods. Now people, we have reached the point where you really have to put your feelings and beliefs to the side. I'm asking you to think. Think critically and logically. After this episode, go and verify for yourself so that you can know that what I'm saying is true. The reason why all of these stories are so similar to that of Jesus is because all of these stories are based on the movement of the sun. It's time to wake up. The Son of God, S-O-N, is the Son, S-U-N, 
that which giveth light, the light of the world, the Most High. The reason why all of the made of God men had 12 disciples is because there are 12 constellations. The sun enters each constellation at an angle of 30 degrees. We have been taught to take literally that which was originally a symbolic representation of the sun. We have taken that which does not literally exist and incorporated it in our psyche and we wonder why our community is not performing satisfactorily. The reason why all of the mythical gods are born on December 25th is because on December 22nd, one of the Earth's poles has its maximum tilt away from the sun. Think about this. There are 365 days in a year. There are 360 degrees in a circle. Every day, from Earth's perspective, the sun appears to rise one degree further than the previous day. 365 minus 360. What happened to the other five days? Well, twice a year, once in June and once in December, the Earth reaches its maximum tilt, giving the perception from Earth that the sun has ceased moving on its one degree per day journey. Approximately two to three days later, on December 25th, the Earth begins its wobble in the other direction, giving the perception from Earth that the sun begins moving on its normal one degree per day trek across the sky. The ancients studied the sky very closely, especially the sun because it was important to understand the seasons in order to cultivate crops. The ancients knew that the sun was the life-giving force of the Earth, and they created myths and stories which Christians later plagiarized and historicized convincing later generations that the myths were based on actual historical events. Now though the sun is annually reborn on the date chosen for Christ's birth, the 25th of December, the midwinter solstice, for a period the sun was also born at the autumnal equinox as the infant son of God, the bread of life. This is the time of the original Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, Tishri, the religious New Year as opposed to the civil New Year which began on, Nisan. Rosh Hashanah was designated in Jewish religious law as a festival and a time of great rejoicing. Paradoxically, it was also the day of judgment because it was an anniversary of the creation. The reason is that in the centuries ending the first millennium BC, the procession of the equinoxes led to a curious celestial event. The child of the cosmic virgin, Spica, rose on the eastern horizon at the autumnal equinox at the same time as the sun. So after the constellation of the virgin had risen just before dawn in the east, the sun rose just when the bright star speaker was expected to rise. It seemed as if the sun of the virgin, the ear of corn symbolizing the bread of life had risen as the glorious sun. The virgin had given birth to a god. What was even more spectacular on some of these occasions was that the morning star, Venus, the queen of heaven, rose in the constellation of Virgo before the sun. So the sun rises as the child of the virgin queen of heaven over the eastern horizon, appearing out of the sea in many countries. In Latin, sea is mare, Hence, Mary. The infant God arises as the light of the east in the arms of his mother, Mary or Venus, the morning star, which rises minutes before the child. Also interesting is the fact that the virgin in ancient zodiacs is associated with a tree, in which case the sun would be an offshoot, a shoot or a branch, all of which were messianic names. And the word Nazarene comes from the word Nezer, meaning a branch. The messianic name, Shiloh, which puzzled scholars for a long time also means branch and therefore means the star. Speaker, when the branch or son of the virgin appears as the light of the east in all his glory, then the Messiah has been born. Hence, we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. This phenomenon occurred in 11 BC and 3 BC and either event might have been associated with Jesus, though the earlier one is the favorite. The Essenes, who were astrologers trained in Babylonian exile, would have seen all this. It later escaped into the empire as literal truth instead of the astrological signs it originally was. 
The story of the slaughter of the innocents is also widespread because originally it was again part of the allegory of the sun's journey through the heaven. When the sun passed through the constellation of Gemini in May, he was imagined to have destroyed them. The Greek word to destroy is honorario which literally means to pass through or withdraw from as well as to take away. So why do you celebrate Christmas? Because you have been brainwashed into a religion that worships the sun. Except you don't even realize that you're worshiping the sun because you call it Jesus. You don't study, so you probably never thought to question why the tradition centered around Christmas even exists. Why do you put lights on your house or gifts under your tree? None of that stuff is even a part of Christianity. So what are you really doing? The ancient Egyptians worshipped a god called Ra, who had the head of a hawk and wore the sun as a blazing disc in his crown. At the solstice, when Ra began to recover from his illness, the Egyptians filled their homes with green palm rushes, which symbolized for them the triumph of life over death. Early Romans marked the solstice with a feast called Saturnalia in honor of Saturn, the god of agriculture. The Romans knew that the solstice meant that soon farms and orchards would be green and fruitful. To mark the occasion, they decorated their homes and temples with evergreen boughs. In Northern Europe, the mysterious Druids, the priests of the ancient selves, also decorated their temples with evergreen boughs as a symbol of everlasting life. The fierce Vikings in Scandinavia thought that evergreens were the special plant of the sun god, Balder. We tend to think of Christmas traditions as ancient, but most of them are rather recent, born in the 19th century. A visit from St. Nicholas was published in 1823 and a Christmas Carol in 1843. Thomas Nash's drawings of Jolly Santa Claus debuted in 1862. Meanwhile, in 1841, Queen Victoria's husband, Albert, had introduced Britain to the Teutonic Tannenbaum, the Christmas tree, and the idea spread. In the States, President Franklin Pierce put one up at the White House in 1856, and by the 1870s, fresh cut trees were being sold at Washington Square Park, and pretty ornaments at Macy's. But what really made a tree a Christmas tree were the candles. And while flickering flames were festive, they were also a fire hazard. Over at the Edison shop, Johnson saw an opportunity. Setting up a tree by the street side window of his parlor, Johnson hand-wired 80 red, white and blue light bulbs and strung them together around it, and placed the trunk on a revolving pedestal, all powered by a generator. Then he called a reporter. At the rear of the beautiful parlors, was a large Christmas tree presenting a most picturesque and uncanny aspect, wrote W.A. Crawford, a veteran writer for the Detroit Post and Tribune. It was brilliantly lighted with 80 lights and all encased in these dainty glass eggs and about equally divided between white, red, and blue. One can hardly imagine anything prettier. The lights drew a crowd as passers-by stopped to peer at the glowing marble. Johnson turned his stunt into a tradition. He also pioneered the practice of doing more each year. An 1884 New York Times article counted 120 bulbs on his dazzling tree. So basically Christmas lights are just a way for people to make money selling otherwise useless decoration. Gift giving is a tradition passed down to us by the invaders of our ancestors. And Jesus never even existed. So why do we celebrate Christmas? Folks, it's time to let go of our oppressor's religion, our oppressor's culture, and Sankofa, return to our natural way of life. You can never truly have freedom if you don't first gain knowledge of self.